0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to be here with everyone. Nice to have our Buddhist studies community together and appreciative that Shelley was able to teach last Monday. And you probably noticed we're moving into what's called the second tetrad, the second set of four instructions. And hopefully all of you have your copy or have already memorized the 16 steps, which I highly recommend. It's not that hard to do. And they just understand that the first set of four, it's really the mind. It's all about the mind. But the first set of four is the mind relating to the body. And the breath is just... A, subset of the body, right? And what's getting healed through the deepening of understanding and the training of the mind is a way the mind is learning how to be with the body, to be aware of the body, to be sensitive to the body in a way that heals the relationship of the mind knowing the body. That's a relationship. In a way, it's our primary relationship and a lot of our other relationships are just reverberations of that so if you're like live some distance from your body it may be that that's how it is with you and your friends or you and your pet or you and your partner you know that we live some distance like we're in our idea of our friend not actually in the intimacy in the wildness Ooh. of the the relationship and then the next set of four instructions that we're going to work with tonight and next week it's really about the mind that knows and its relationship to mental activity so bodily activity that's the first set of four everything's activity in a sense you know one of the discoveries in our practice just being aware cultivating clear seeing is there aren't any things they're just activities right no nouns just verbs as someone once said but our thinking process right imagining process we imagine (coughs) there are things but they're just changing processes that's our subjective experience So when we're aware of the body, we're aware of the activity of the body, the activity of the breath, the activity of the whole body. Then we're aware of the activity of the mind. And then we're going to be aware, in the third tetrad, the space of the mind, instead of what's moving in the mind, and more and more the empty nature of the mind. But we'll get there in the, in a couple of weeks. But it's not easy to be aware of the activity of the mind, because more than we take bodily activity personally and react, you know, to sensation, the pleasantness of it or the unpleasantness of it, we are more, even more strongly, in the habit of taking mental activity personally. So the whole point, right from the very beginning, and I've talked about this before, but we want to have a real, right from the start, it's that inner pleasure that really helps us move through the 16 steps. So even when we establish mindfulness to the fore, which is even before the first step, it's kind of part of the setup in the way this uh, discourse is given, Establish mindfulness to the fore. And even then, we want to have a sense of, oh yeah, mindfulness has a trustworthy feeling, effective feeling. And distractedness has an unpleasant and untrustworthy flavor to it. We want to get that sense. Because then we understand why I'm going to have this exclusive attention to the breath for a while, It's because I want to really explore the pleasure of being present and if I give myself this crutch to be with the physicality of breathing in and breathing out, most of us will have more success building some continuity of present moment awareness because it's easy to notice when I get distracted because I'm not with my breath. That's the whole point, right? And so just tracking the physicality of breathing in and out and just like learning how to keep that one simple thing in mind, which is just a trick or a skillful means to non-distraction in the direction of non-distraction. Because if I'm keeping the breath in mind, I'm not getting lost in thought. And if I get lost in thought, I'm not keeping the breath in mind, right? Right? So to sustain and deepen that pleasure of seclusion of being present, then we use the breath and we get a little bit more of like how nice it is to be present, to be, and it's really about what's not there. It's the absence of the agitation of distractedness. That's what's not there because that's not there. It's pleasant then the buddha invites us well can we not only um, continue but even strengthen the quality of seclusion but now be more inclusive of the whole body so less dependent on the anchor and more of this inclusive and uh, we find yeah, yeah we can Like, I don't need this simple environment of just being with the breath, the touching, the movement of the abdomen, whatever helps you. But I can have this more general opening but but I'm learning how to keep the present moment in mind, keep the body in mind as I breathe in, as I breathe out. And the Buddha is setting us up for a more resonant pleasure. Which is this embodied calm, this embodied well being. The mind that isn't trying to fix the body, isn't trying to judge or control or manage the body. The knowing mind is allowing the body to be, the activity of the body, the sensations. It's allowing, it's open and allowing. And that feels good. The relationship feels good. If you have a bad knee, you still have a bad knee. But what dominates our subjective experience is the health of the mind's relationship, the mind that's knowing the bodily activity. That stands out and we keep that in mind, that embodied calm, that embodied well-being because it's the mind that's knowing that's calm, right? The body is just the body, you know. We have to understand because it gets confused and there are even Buddhist teachers that um, I think use language in a way that can be confusing about the body, like it's all about the body. But remember from day one, we're having an experience of the mind. It's the mind that is experiencing. The body doesn't experience, the body doesn't feel. The mind feels, the mind knows, the mind experiences. So it's always, we are (laughs) having a mind experience, that's all we ever get. And the mind knows the spectrum from gross, the body, to subtle, the mind it knows the mind too. It can know the mind, the mental activity, and the absence of mental activity. Right, and that whole spectrum from gross to subtle is being known by the mind. So when we get to that third and fourth instruction, uh, breathing in, you know, we're training the Buddha. Adds with that third step, one trains oneself, and then that continues most of the 16, one trains oneself while breathing in, experiencing the whole body, breathing out, experiencing the whole body, and then the fourth, one trains oneself while breathing in, calming bodily activities, bodily formations, but really it's about, uh, it's not so much that we're calming, but we're uh, discovering or uncovering a heart, a mind, that can be with the body, in a way that is calm, that has its embodied sense of calm and well-being. So we're really experiencing the mind that is okay with the body. And you know, it's not that way. It's a little bit like with some of our relationships, that even the people we love the most, we're always sort of tweaking it like, wanting them to be slightly different <laughs> than they are. You know, even with our pets, you know, we're, we're controlling in that way. But when we really accept a friend, a lover, or whatever, really, really don't need them to be different than they are, it's such a nice moment. Because that's real, unconditional love. Because the heart, the mind's not holding back in those moments. So it's a little bit like that in that fourth step. The mind's not holding back in its presence, in its loving and wise presence, integrated, intimate, sensitive presence with what we call the body, embodiment. And that, that it requires, obviously, a lot of trust, right? That's the healing process. From We're basically going from, you know, and it's understandable the mistrust we have of the body. Because of the, our subjective experience, it, it really feels like my body is really bothering me. <laughs> you know, it's like all to get me sometimes. These things, these pestering things that can go wrong in our body. And so when there's not that going on, it's like when we really trust the body, then it it starts to affect generally how the mind is knowing this reality, the present moment, things as they are. And there's, uh, because of the the greater trust, then uh, there's a word, it wasn't used a lot in the uh, Pali Canon and the early texts, although the Buddha used it to um, it's how he designated himself you know he referred to himself as the Tathagata I don't know if people know that it's an interesting word later Buddhist traditions kind of made a big deal out of the root of that word Tath, which is uh, like in later Buddhist traditions it would be translated as thusness or suchness it's kind of one of those strange Like, what does that mean suchness things as they are but it's uh, It's kind of an aliveness, you know, what I mentioned a little bit earlier in the talk, how everything is happening on its own. Everything is activity. And essentially, you know, what appears to us subjectively as friction, you know, being tight with the activity of my mind, like I think a thought. Ooh, I don't want to think that thought. And and we have this seeming capacity to create friction or I don't want to feel that sensation, or I don't want to hear that sound, or I really want to hear that sound, you know, and we create this appearance of friction of liking and not liking. But when we have a deeper trust of the present moment, like we start to get with that embodied well-being, the fourth step, more trust, then if we're instructed like we are by the Buddha in in step number five, one trains oneself while breathing in, experiencing joy. One trains oneself while breathing out, experiencing joy. And this is where we are now to have to develop a sincere interest in what the heck does the Buddha mean by piti, rapture, joy, bright, joyful interest, rapt, you know. It's like the mind is really there, like ah, wonder, it's really there because it's sensing something that's apparently here and now and even the sense, the intuitive sense, has always been here and now but that the mind that I have been missing. And it's related to this word tata or you know, the Buddha called himself. One, you know, it's almost like he's saying, you know, instead of I'm Mark, he's saying, I am this suchness. I am this activity without friction, right? It's kind of (laughs) nice. I mean, I could aspire, I'd like that, you know. I'd like to aspire to be the activity free of all friction, like a free fall, except there's nothing to hit. Uh, Joseph, some of you know this story because it gets told so many times. I forget in what context Joseph Goldstein told this story, but it's like somebody throws you out of an airplane and you realize you don't have a parachute and you're freaking out, freaking out, freaking out, freaking out, freaking out, and then eventually you realize there's no ground to hit. And then, what's that experience? It's like uh, that sense of uh, not being bound by gravity, or you know, just who knows. So that's what we're looking for. That's kind of our homework now. That as we're transitioning to the next uh, set of inst- for instructions, and it's really important to get interested in this wholesome you know and I know it's a little weird to say this but in the tradition we refer to it as a unworldly pleasure right even from the beginning you know that pleasure of non-distraction and unworldly just means it's more about what's not there like I was saying earlier with the first four the absence of distractedness is something but it's really more about the absence of distraction than the continuity of present moment awareness. And so here it's really um, the absence, you know, relatively speaking, not perfect, the relative absence of the mind projecting friction on the free activity of the body and mind or the free activity of this moment. So that's what we're sensing when we take up that fifth instruction, one breathes in, one trains with self while breathing in, experiencing joy. We're trying to sense in in the field of our experience, anywhere in the body and the mind, this, right? We're trying to sense the activity of this free of friction, just like, and that's why I mentioned in the guided sit, like it can be useful to, uh, to attune the attention to like a vibratory, energetic, flow, buzz, wherever you might feel that bodily, mentally. Just how, because what it evokes in how the mind relates, like as the mind learns to trust this is, Everything's happening. Everything's already happening. Whatever it is that's happening seems to know what it's doing. Doesn't need a sense of a somebody doing something, holding it all, managing it all. So this is why that term tata suchness—you know—the way it's just the way it is. But it's really moving shifting from a uh, an experience that's dominated by concept that concepts and ideas and language that gives things an appearance of solidity that they don't actually have. Reality this the present moment is flow. It isn't a bunch of things. <laughs> you know they even get this in uh, quantum mechanics, which I you know I'm not an expert of course and but just the basic point I want to make is like uh, we can, you know, in terms of the subtle experiments physicists do, you can understand things as things, you know, protons, or as waves, which really, they're not things, <laughs> waves, right? They're, it's energy or, you know, but it's, we don't really understand it because mostly we've been in this world of things things because we're mostly in the world that language constructs for us and we're learning to come into this new world we call the present moment right and that's really and and what we're learning to do is feel the pleasure of it because the pleasure will be really important the joy which is really a more that sense of uh like the mind is really interested, that joyful interest, that bright, like wow. That's why a smile can be nice. Like even, not actually a smile, but you can even do a subtle smile. But the idea of a smile can help you in this transition from four to five. Just to sense that the mystery, whatever the mystery is, it's here. It's the only place it is. It's not later. It's always here. And that makes the mind bright. And then and we feel it almost like a ocean of, uh, like everything is just this ocean of vibration. And you know, it's always a little uh, problematic when someone like, Me just says something like that because then you look for that experience everyone's got to find their own experience but I'm just kind of different things that might help you connect with your own experience but the, the key is to really initially bathe immerse, trust let it spread let it, so that sense of joy is touching being touched Everything, nothing left, untouched. And then it's always like we've been doing. You, We step back from it. We realize joy is being known. And the example in um, in Venerable Inalio's book, maybe some of you are reading it, it's really that chapter. It's like late 50s through the sixty page 60s. Um, you might want to reread this week. Remember that link that I'm putting in the email? That book is now... When Venable Analio wrote the book with the publisher, he negotiated that after a certain number of years, he could have the PDF up online for, freely, for free use. So you, you get the book, which is great. You get the digital version of the book. So you can just go to those pages, that chapter, because <clears throat> he talks about joy, piti, happiness, sukha, what I'm calling ease of heart, and then the awareness of mental activity with dispassion. That's uh, three, five, six, seven. And then eight is the quieting of the mind. These are the four things we're paying attention to. Joy, this happiness, this inner happiness of contentment, of ease of the heart. This dispassionate awareness of mental activity. So now we're, it's an important discovery that I don't have to be bothered by thought. Thoughts are just more activity. They're neither good nor bad. And that relationship to thought quiets mental activity. It's that spacious, non-dependence on mental activity that actually quiets the mind. Not wanting your mind to be quiet, that doesn't quiet the mind. But being really intimate with mental activity, but in this non-dependent way, not being pushed around by it, but not being bothered by it, neither for it nor are you against thoughts. That's what quiets the mind. And then we appreciate that quiet and that will set up step nine that we'll get to in a couple weeks, which is noticing, you know, you could just say the space, not the activity, but the space of the present moment. What is this when it's not dominated by bodily experience and our reaction to bodily experience and not dominated by mental activity what is this any moment well we don't know because there's always bodily experience we're reacting to and there's always thoughts we're reacting to mental activity perceptions and but when that stuff goes quiet then what is this the experience well that's the third tetra, the third set of four instructions. Experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, concentrating, stilling the mind, releasing the mind are the four steps there. And feel free, I mean, a lot of you have practiced the this before. <clears throat> I've taught it several times in the last four years just because it's really a useful map to learn about all the other teachings that come up you know from the Buddha's 45 years of teaching um, it's really helpful but the, before we break into small groups tonight I want to make that point again because it's so important all the way through like you really take up one of the instructions and then the transition to the next instruction usually involves a kind of stepping <coughs> back as Ajahn as uh, Saida <laughs> as Veterbal Analio says Um, this German monk who wrote the book that uh, is one of our texts. In that book, he talks about you want to step back and realize that whatever you were paying attention to and really immersing, being intimate with, now you're stepping back and you're realizing it's something being known. That's just something being known. And that sense of space, that kind of cooler relationship not indulging in what you were previously paying attention to that opens us the mind to the next step whatever it is so really immerse yourself in the joy and then you realize breathing in it's just joy being known breathing out joy is just being known it's just this experience being known and that then then, in a sense, feeling the effect of that joy, which is a greater trust, which is a more resonant happiness, that's the sukkah it's like a pure mental pleasure, and it's related to tranquility, mental tranquillity, as opposed to the bodily tranquillity that we experience at step four and it has a very specific flavor, and I mentioned it you know, like the word with the word contentment but Another really interesting experience to unpack, to get familiar with, is that sense of being held. Like really, both energetically, physically, but even mentally, not wanting to move. The mind is so content, it doesn't, the sense of a doer wanting to do something gets suppressed in a skillful way. And the, the experience is a sense of, a pleasant sense of being held. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, and that's okay. It's very healing to rest in that place. And then we step back from it, because we want to sense, because what that grows, that, that immersion in sukha, the ease of the heart, what that sets in motion then is a sense of it's such a healing pleasure that it really shifts the mind's relationship to thought because thoughts you know mostly are driven by greed and aversion and we use mental activity to take care of this hungry ghost of ourself you know this person that's discontent and is looking for real satisfaction But now the strong experience of ease, of sukha, then that really goes quiet, that hungry ghost. So now thought we can have a dispassionate relationship to mental activity. And that's really helpful. It changes our relationship. And to really get to that place where you see nobody's having a problem with mental activity. It's just thought. Like Joseph Goldstein, one of my teachers said, somebody left a radio on. It's totally fine, you know. And maybe it's even in a foreign language, the radio station. But it's not a problem. It's just like bird sounds. You know, we get used to them. We don't have to turn the bird sounds into a problem. So let's leave it there for tonight.